researchers have spent their life on these topics. You know, if they got a big grant, they're spending three to five years in this space. So they're not not necessarily intrinsically motivated to share, but I just think that's a, that at times can be a bit short-sighted because discoveries aren't going to be only found by the person who, who generated the data uh, and a single person or team isn't going to come to an intervention. And, and really we are shifting to that kind of you know, global perspective of, of research. My name is Kashif and this is BioRadio. A group of biologists turned bioinformaticians bring you into the world of research and development informatics by interviewing the people responsible for implementing systems and technologies to a unique and diverse set of use cases. Most researchers recognize the tremendous value of making data accessible and reusable for other researchers. Recently, the NIH issued a policy to promote the management and sharing of scientific data. Similarly, attempts to share and collaborate have been made on the biopharma side, specifically in the pre-competitive space. Open access is paving the way for increased collaboration and discovery, but not without its own issues. To talk about this, today we're here with Ashley Farley. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you. Hi, my name is Ashley Farley. I am a program officer of Knowledge and Research Services at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I focus on leading our open access policy implementation, and uh, my career has has been uh, working mainly in libraries. So I've worked in public, academic, and, and now special libraries, really focusing on, on helping people get access to information easily. Excellent. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, Thanks for having me. Why do you think uh, researchers haven't been able to share their data or, or why open access hasn't emerged sooner? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of fun at parties when I start to tell people about the academic publishing enterprise and how the fact that the researchers themselves, uh, you know, are not paid, peer reviewers are not paid, uh, taxpayers and private funders uh, paid to have the research be done and then it ends up being locked you know behind a paywall copyright is signed over you know fully to to publishers um, and to me that system just doesn't make sense but but there's been certain incentives built into that system and I think that's why some of those systems are perpetrated and then at the same time data sharing is really hard uh, you know it. I came into this thinking because I'm I'm not technically a you know a researcher and I come from this from a very librarian perspective at, at times and so I had the assumption that all of our researchers and grantees that we fund like I you know they must know exactly how to collect the data how to you know analyze it shape it exactly what components of it to share so that others can use it exactly where to share it it turns out that was a very wrong assumption and there's still even within disciplines that are are fairly strong in this space uh, there's still a lot of unknowns and a lot of education so i think that's also an important part to consider is we still have a lot of education and tool building to do to make it, make it easier. And then there's still be a, a little bit of what I see too is, is um, kind of a being very protective of, of data. I mean, I, I totally get it and thinking of, you know, researchers have spent their life on these topics. You know, if they got a big grant, they're spending three to five years in this space. So they're not not necessarily intrinsically motivated to share, but I just think that's a, that at times can be a bit short-sighted because discoveries aren't going to be only found by the person who, who generated the data uh, and a single person or team isn't going to come to an intervention. And, and really we are 
shifting to that kind of you know global perspective of, of research. So I'd say those are kind of the the three big barriers are, of course, money and, and, and kind of commercial interests in that sense, um, the, uh, lack of education or, or needing better tools to help with that, and then just more of the behavior shift of, of thinking of that open doesn't have to just be all, all a give. Uh, you, can, you can take as well and, and make your research better off of it. But I think we're, we're pretty far from that because there hasn't been a lot of um, maybe solid examples that that convince those who need convincing. Thank you for the summary at the end, right? The, the incentives, the motivations not being there, the tools in the first place to be able to share, uh, and then the behavioral sort of mind, uh, mindset shift or, or change. Yeah. Um, you touched on this just briefly, right? Specifically in the context of, of biopharma, I know there's been a movement for more pre-competitive data sharing, um, trying to tackle a problem you know, a, a relatively common problem faced by several of these biopharmas individually is a lot less effective and efficient than if they were to collaborate uh, specifically in a pre-competitive, right? Uh, what are other motivations or benefits of open access and, and data sharing? I think another major benefit that doesn't get discussed a lot is the opportunity to to strengthen that that data set and and get more eyes on it and and have a different perspective um I think some of the strong examples in, in some of the work that I've seen, especially labs that are like leveraging maybe Jupyter notebooks or um are are doing more of what you know are now known like micro publications or putting out data notes. So little bits and pieces of it. I mean, I've even done it in my own kind of, you know, my library research focus of putting data out there and having people look at it and be like, well, this, this data point doesn't make sense. And how does this fit in this whole thing? And then, or asking of, you know, uh, and, and building code books, I think is another uh area to be improved upon is, is having somebody else interrogate that and be like, well, how did you collect that? Or what does this data point mean? Uh, and I think, I think that's, that's invaluable. I mean, it's almost like having another colleague working with you, but um, from a different institution or, or, or perspective. Um, right. So just diving into that a bit more, right. You mentioned um, uh, micro publications, you know, looking at research not as an end, but an ongoing process, right? And sending out your data, publishing your data, or at least making it accessible so that people can critique it and do that actual peer review process. Now that's a perfect segue into the next question, which are which is what are the types of data that people are sharing, right? It's, it's one thing making the publication accessible, you know, not putting it behind a paywall, uh, but what are the critical data points or, or data sets that researchers should be sharing or have been sharing? We have an underlying data component to our open access policy, which I, you know, I think is, is critical. Again, to drive home that point that yes, access to publication is very important, but we, we all know that, that uh, the data is where the magic happens or can happen. And we've, we've really struggled to actualize that component of our policy. There's, there's a major piece of education that needs to happen. Uh, and also, you know, I, I, when we did a, a study of our underlying data compliance, um, it really matters where where authors publish as to what kind of supports they'll get from that publisher to share data. And so that can make a big difference in to what that data actually looks like when it's being shared. We really are aiming for uh, 
maybe a, it's like in between raw data and then um, uh, kind of the final data set or, or whatever, you know, analysis really, I guess, data that built the analysis that's within the papers, what we're, we're trying to aim for, for sharing. And then having, of course, the context, which would be the code book, um, any, any sort of uh, code or software that is that is used in the analysis. Um, uh, I think images are also a really interesting component. Um, but but so far, it's it's been definitely a struggle to get those pieces to be tied together, especially if they're often just hosted in a PDF on on the publication. That that does not fulfill the requirements. So we're we're starting to start small, which is just like requiring data availability statements in all all, all of our publications. Um, and that's not something that's widely practiced now. But at least if we have a marker of like where is the data, where where did it come from, what does it look like? We look we work a lot with geospatial data and surveillance data, which it can be, um, uh, which could be very sensitive. And a lot of times too is, is shared between governments. So that adds a whole nother layer of complexity there. And we're just trying to work through what are the basic frameworks to see, you know, what this data looks like and how to make it move. So it sounds like you're not just concerned about the final picture or image at the end you want sort of the, you mentioned specifically the raw data or unanalyzed data, uh, but more importantly, you mentioned the pipeline, the code or, or uh, analysis pipeline to, to go through. Someone can you know, review the code itself and mm -hmm. be likely be able to duplicate the same analysis uh, and, and derive the same results or, or answers. Yeah, to test kind of the, the robustness of it and, and the, you know, we hear a lot about research integrity is really important. Um, I think there's a, a few papers we could point to, you know, during the pandemic that it, it turned out the entire thing was based off of bad data that none of the authors had actually seen. So that's that's important. And, and I think a lot about how the mechanisms to publish research really constrain how we we view and share the data. So if it's a, you know, the publisher is only asking for whatever supplementary files you have and they're going to condense them into a PDF, that's that's not going to help the impact or, or further the research. Um, you know, we see, I think, a lot of examples around, you know, cutting down on like citation limits in publications or, uh, you know, certain word limits on, say, like, I think a method section is another thing that I, I'm very fascinated with how we build those out. And, and um, uh, I love seeing groups like uh, protocols.io that, you know, they're just focusing on like, here's how you build out a protocol. All of them are, um, you know, open access on, on their site and then, right. you know, actually linking to it, which is, which is what I see is the future too, is, you know, we'll be hosting pieces of these individual research components all, you know, throughout the, the, the internet. And then the, the final publication, um, number one, I think should be version controlled so it can change over time and then bring those links linkages in and, and then you're, you're having more of a conversation and, and showing the full research story versus like here's an article that I you know was able to get pushed through publication at this journal and I'm going to add it to my CV and then apply for more, more funding. Getting to a level where you're collecting your design of experiments or the introduction, your protocol, your data sets both analyzed and pre-analyzed along with the code, uh, the pipelines to do your analysis, 
requires a lot of tools and software. Uh, where are we with that? You know, kind of what are the big tools that have been used? Um, how do you create the right tools so that people uh, are able to put their data in easily or their pipelines in easily and, and, then, and then share those? Yeah, that's, that's definitely, I think, a really interesting space to follow now. It's, it's really hard for, for researchers, to, I think, to conceptualize of this. And I, I would love to even start with, like, here's our grant database and tying it into, say, something like the Open Science Framework is, is an example of something that's done pretty openly. Um, but I will say that any tool that will allow you to toggle between open and private, I think, is very important. Uh, to have because not everyone is going to want to have their entire like research ecosystem stream openly available, which which I completely understand. And some some are, you know, and it, it depends. And I think there should be that that variance. But um, the open science framework is a, is a good tool that pulls in a lot of other tools also out in the ecosystem. So if it's something that, you know, helps you have a lab notebook um, that that helps you um you know, find maybe weaknesses within your your data or when you're talking about your data within a paper saying like, hey, you know, format it this way or link this way or put this here. I, I'm seeing a lot, lot more of those prototypes coming out with, which I think is great to um, help guide any any researcher kind of through that in, entire process. And it's interesting to see some tools are being built, I think, in very siloed areas and then trying to encourage more open source. But I think there's a lot of potential there to leverage uh, open source software and communities to help make that that research pipeline work more efficiently. Uh, we're, we're still pretty pretty new to I think a lot of a lot of what's happening in that space I think we just kind of realized through uh, reviewing a lot of the data work that we, we've been trying to manage this too much downstream so again assuming that the researchers and the researchers institutions know kind of what to do and we we do struggle as a foundation of like how heavy handed handed should we be with with how uh, outputs are managed and where they're put, and I and I think now we we are, are learning that we have more of an opportunity to to help in this space. So recommending tools, supporting them financially, so infrastructure uh, funding, or at least you know have helping our grantees have memberships to the tools that they need. Um, but we, yeah, we've, we focus so far and like after the fact that now we're realizing that that's way too late in the research ecosystem. Like we really need to be having these conversations at the start of the grant and helping uh, guide in the, the setup of, of the, the research. There are a few components, right? There's the ingest of data. You know, how, do you, how does a researcher post their data uh, into some sort of repository? How do they then search, index, retrieve yeah. the data that they're looking for, and then the egress, right? If, if I'm a researcher, I find a data set that's interesting to me, how do I go about uh, downloading that or, or pulling that data set into my own domain for, for research? Um, and more importantly, how, how does the foundation support something like that? Yeah, I think we're in the early stages of learning what that, that looks like. And I'm sure people are probably listening and, and yelling out right now like I know this perfect thing and exactly how to do this and she doesn't know what she's talking about um but but I but yeah so I think we you know we're we're getting um 
looped into more of the larger organizations that are really tackling that and looking at it um, from, I think, an ecosystem wide view of like, how do you move that data? Uh, we actually don't have a data repository at the foundation, which which is something that I'm advocating for. But again, wanting to do it in, in a smart, pragmatic way. So it's not just something that I, you know, I, I purchase maybe, you know, a, a, a foundation-wide subscription that our grantees can use, which is great. I do think we need to support them more in the tools to make that happen. Because honestly, I don't know what that looks like right now. Um, and I imagine it's pretty cumbersome and there's probably a lot of data, data munging that's happening because things aren't very interoperable. But we've just started kind of with an internal database. Um, so, I mean, number one, it's not open access, so that makes me sad. Uh, but it, I think it's just just the first stages of the foundation actually kind of looking at like, what does this data look like if we were to have it? Because I think that's, you know, you're, you're asking great, great questions of like, what does this look like and how does that work? And, and, and I think for us, it's still pretty unknown or conceptual of like, is this just a bunch of Excel files being emailed back and forth or, um, you know, uh, connecting to, you know, large servers and, and using kind of a, you know, remote uh, computer setup to access data. What does this actually look like? And if we offered something more broadly to grantees to share data, yeah, what, what does that look like? And how, how would we make that more interoperable? I think we're still at the stage of, of, of testing out a few of those things and collecting uh, the data and seeing what it actually looks like. And I mean, I, I definitely would love to just have a repository for that and have it open. But then, you know, people worry about it turning into like the file drawer issue where things just get dumped there and they aren't curated and does take curation. And I think right. technology can solve for that. Um, but overall, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I think fundamentally, you mentioned something earlier on, which was uh, Jupyter notebooks, right? And not having to necessarily download the data in order to do an analysis, but sort of putting the tool to do the analysis where the data reside. I think that's a really yeah. smart approach. Um, and, and then just earlier, you were touching on the interoperability, right? So how do you enforce specific rules to capture the metadata, uh, to have unique identifiers so that people can, uh, you know, look at the experiment and, and also that they can compare one data set to the next in some way, in some method or, or format? Yeah, uh, some things that are are interesting. Uh, some of the prototypes I've I've seen in this space is we're, we're leaning more into the the fair component of, of data, which uh, is is a great movement, and I think it's helped us really shape these conversations. Uh, but we hear too that it's, it's also kind of missing the privacy or ethical component of data sharing, which which I think we can we can definitely build in and tackle that. And it's it's hard because. A lot of the, say, stakeholders slash gatekeepers in this space um, often don't want to kind of play nicely with different standards or there just are too many. Um, and that's that's a barrier that I keep seeing coming up is like, okay, who is actually kind of owning that that work and, and managing those workflows within the research ecosystem and are they, you know, allowing it to flow or are there certain stop gaps? So, uh, you know, it, it can be hard sometimes to get, get publishers to uh, have that metadata or share that metadata openly. And so that's something that, that I've been looking at is testing more of like if we had like 
an identifier that would rule them all for the entire ecosystem of like, here's the grant, here's the pre-registration, you know, it's tied to the protocols, it's tied to publications resulting, it's tied to data sets coming out of it for like all of time. Um, that would be amazing, but we are pretty far from that. You made a reference to FAIR, uh, which for the audience that may not know, findability, accessibility, interoperability, and reusability. <laughs> a lot um, of abilities. <laughs> that's right. We actually did a podcast specifically on data standards. Uh, so if you have these unique identifiers, you've got your metadata, um, you help uh, promote the data or the FAIR data principles, how do you make the data available for, for time to come, right? You know, if you're using a URL that might change, linkages yep. break, right? How, how do you ensure that people are able to access the data, not just now, but in the future? Yeah, that is a really important point. And I think uh, from, like, from the foundation perspective, that's one of the reasons why we haven't stood up our own kind of data repository is because the foundation itself is not built to last forever. Uh, so once, uh, you know, it, it is written within our fabric that we will sunset someday, hopefully when we've solved all the world's problems. Uh, <laughs> but we don't want to then be the ones that are, you know, archiving or preserving this this data. And that's where I think institutional repositories uh, at, at universities are, are critical in that um, and yeah, and or or institutions like the NIH, you know, having having an institution that will definitely you know be around is is important for um, having those the repository access and having that data be preserved over time. Because I, I think that's a really interesting component. Is often uh, I've seen some program officers get frustrated that you know we funded this five year project, we we have the the data, however it looks, and sitting in this repository that we spent a lot of money building. Um, but it's not being used. And, and yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to be used maybe right away or, but like it could be something that 10 years down the line gets pulled into something bigger and does have that impact. We are too impatient sometimes uh, to see that impact. And, and some of that I believe won't, won't come for quite some time. So it is, is important to preserve it. And that's where I think we can, we can look to institutions that have done this uh, for years now and, and larger domain repositories that have been around for quite some time. Um, and we need to continue supporting those. In terms of the requirements or reliance on data sharing and open access, do you think that shifts between commercial versus uh, uh, non-commercial or, or biotech oh, pharma versus okay. academic? I think industry and especially yeah, pharma, biotech, they see the big picture of, of openness and, and the collaborations and the insights uh, that could be derived from it um, from the get-go. Whereas I think with with academics, it's, it's a bit harder to see big picture of all the connections that could be made in that ecosystem. They're very, they're very used to the kind of silo of, of academia. And I think that's, that's what's hard to break through, um, especially see that in kind of the commercial versus non-commercial space and, and the viewing of, you know, commercial inherently means bad, which I, which I don't think is, is true. And I think, um, there's a lot of innovation and great partnerships to be had there. Academia can be viewed as quite slow moving as, as well. And that's another barrier to, to overcome. Uh, but I, but I've, I've seen openness em, embraced 
in general in industry because they get the big picture. They're not tied to institutions, so they, they struggle to have access to those resources um, that those in academia may have. Uh, but they also have the, the privilege of being a lot more agile in how they solve those problems. Um, which I think is really interesting. So, so that's kind of on the research side of things, right? Um, mm-hmm. Definitely one of the advantages of biotech pharma is that they can actually manufacture and produce things like vaccines or drugs, et cetera, right? Um, do you think there's going to be any data sharing or open access on the manufacturing pra- practices or uh, production side of things? We've had a few examples within our vaccine delivery program around um yeah, some of the the mechanisms to be able to do like cold transport and and things that are way outside my knowledge base and expertise, but no, really enough. cool to see those discussions. And they've they've come to us because they, um, you know, wanted to publish publish their their findings and their learnings from that. But that it was something that wasn't a traditional research paper, so they couldn't really package it up. And they were they're finding that a lot of the the journals they were pitching it to said that that's outside their scope. And so we ended up publishing it through our, our Gates open research platform. And it was, yeah, so that was interesting to see that, you know, we had funded the work and they're essentially like, okay, well now we want to give what we learned to the community and, and see if others could build upon that. Um, and that's definitely a lot of the foundation's goals in the work that we do. We have a, a global access clause, which is a bit bigger than just focusing on the open access to publications, but more of, you know, when we um, develop things or if things are going to be, you know, produced and sold that, um, especially if it's to benefit uh, those in, in, the, in, the, in the countries that we are, we are trying to help, that it's, it's done in a way that they can afford it or use it or leverage it. And, and so that's, that's important. Uh, so we talked about collecting data, preserving data, sharing data. I guess when you look at the future, what do you think about where do you think we're, what direction do you think we're going to go in and, and how do you leverage open access to, uh, to help push that forward? I, I am in many, many conversations uh, around publishing both of, of articles and, and data themselves. And, I, and and now I'm trying to be more vocal and pushing towards like, what do you think the future is going to look like? And are we building towards that? Because I, I feel like at times we are, you know, kind of spinning our, our wheels in the way that things have always been done and the way that traditional systems work. But we, we really do have a great opportunity to, to solve for a lot of these issues. And one of my favorite uh, projects that I've been working on is the the Gates Open Research Platform, and I think that's a good model to build from of what the future of publishing and data sharing looks like. And it's it's a you know a platform that kind of um, moves away from you know traditional metrics like impact factor that we we know we shouldn't use to evaluate researcher researchers on, but we do still anyways because it's it's the easiest thing to do. Um, it leverages open peer review, which I'm some something I'm really passionate about, and I think adding that transparency to the publishing process for both publications and and data sets um, is really important for research um, integrity and and building upon that research. And and then, yeah, versioning control is something that I think will be really important. It's how a lot of different technologies work, but it hasn't quite leaked into the the publishing or uh, data sharing space of just being able to have different versions and 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 talk and label you know what is the event journey of that that version which i think is 
is really important. And so that's, that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting space to try to do something radical in, um, as far as academic publishing and, and data sharing. But I, but I, but I think we do, we do have a lot of bright spots of like, yes, that's, that's the future. And that's what, uh, leveraging technology to, to better use this data and, and to better, um, make discoveries in, in the future. Thank you for listening to BioRadio. I'd like to thank Ashley for being our guest today, talking about open access to share research data. I'd also like to thank the listeners. To join the conversation, visit our blog, biorad.io, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Thank you. This podcast is an original creation of BioRad Laboratories. BioRad is a trademark of BioRad Laboratories Incorporated in certain jurisdictions. All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.